Thank you for joining us for our weekly Calvary Church podcast. Please take a moment and visit InvernessCalvary.com to get connected with us. We want to know what God is doing in your life through this ministry. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you may do so online. Now prepare your heart for a word that we pray will bless your life. Awesome. What a great day. What a great day. Well, today we're continuing our series called A Culture of Honor, and the title of today's is called Honoring Social Leaders. Now today I'm going to try to preach a good message to you, and according to the late uh, comedian George Burns, a good message is one that makes a good first point and a good last point, and those two points are as close together as possible. So I'm going to try to preach a good message to you and, um, and get you out of here in a reasonable amount of time, but we're going we're gonna to share with what, um, what we believe God is speaking to us about a culture of honor. What we've been talking about over the, uh, the past few weeks is that honor is this lost attitude in our culture. Overall, honor has slipped through our fingers. It's something that, that generations that have gone by used to grasp and hold on to, but now it's slipping through our hands. And the reason why I believe it's so important is because heaven right now is filled with a culture of honor. Right now, as we are here worshiping Jesus, the Father is honoring Jesus by giving him the seat at his right hand. He is honoring the only Son of God. He is there at his right hand, having been given a name that is now above every name. The Father is honoring the Son. And at the same time, the Son is honoring the Father. He's blessing the Father. And he is, he is say, he's, he's, he's worshiping and, and right now honoring the Father. And that's going back and forth between Father and Son. And not only are they honoring each other, but God has turned his eyes on those who have received the grace of Christ and now have gone into eternity. And he is honoring those who have followed God through Christ. The scripture even tells us in Revelation that there are elders that, that God himself places crowns upon and he honors them for their service. And, and he's honoring those who, who have followed Christ. So heaven is filled with honor. And then it doesn't stop there because the elders in the book of Revelation take the crowns on their head and they cast them back at the feet of Jesus. Again, honor. And today, what I want you to understand is, is my firm, firm belief that God wants the culture of heaven in the church. We, we pray it in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I am firmly convinced that the church ought to be a reflection of heaven. Today, we had two great testimonies of, of, of healing. Why? Why is there still this miraculous God who is still healing today? Because the church is a reflection of heaven. In heaven, there's no sickness and no disease. And we pray, Lord, as it is in heaven, Lord, let it be on earth. In, in the same way that there is, 
the, that heaven is the ultimate expression of salvation through Christ. We, in the church, ought to be seeing people surrender their life to Christ and experiencing the salvation that he paid for in the cross. We ought to be seeing that. See, the culture of the church needs to reflect the culture of heaven. And right now, in heaven, it's filled with honor. People are honoring one another. Seeing all. You know, I haven't said this in any other time, but Hebrews chapter 12 actually says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, what are they doing? This cloud of witnesses, they're honoring you who are pursuing God's call on your life. They're going, go for it. Go for it. Go after God's plan in your life. See, heaven's a culture of honor. So, we need to answer this question. What's honor? Honor simply means to value. It means to esteem, pay respect, to assign a value. Literally, the word honor means weighty. It's how you determine the value of gold is based upon its weight. When you honor something, you assign a value to it. And God honored us by assigning a value to each one of us when He bankrupted heaven and gave His only Son that you and I might have a relationship with Him. So there are four areas scripturally that every believer is called to walk in honor. The first is government. And if you haven't heard these messages before, you can go back to InvernessCalvary.com Listen to them there. You can subscribe to our podcast. Uh, honoring government. The second is family. The next is civil. I call that really social. Those would be social leaders, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And then the fourth area is honoring church leaders. Now, not only are there certain ones that we're called to give honor to scripturally, but honor has a direction. Honor is directional. That is that we honor those who are over us in authority. We also honor our peers who are running with us in this race called Christianity. We honor them, but we also honor the little ones that have been entrusted to us. That's exactly what we did this morning when we dedicated that little baby we honored the little one, the one who had been entrusted to us. So honor is not only, um, not only are we scripturally supposed to honor certain people, but it is directional. Well, today we're going to talk about honoring social leaders. And I believe today that if we will leave here uh, with a revelation in this area, it can have a profound effect on how the gospel goes forth in this community in 1975, Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now the headquarters in Orlando, and Lauren Cunningham, founder of Youth with a Mission, they had a lunch together in Colorado. This is after God simultaneously gave each man separately a dream. Each one called to transform the world with the gospel. Each receives a dream. And in the dream, God says to them, if you are ever going to transform a nation, there are seven mountains of influence that you are going to have to take the gospel into. Now some people think, oh man, this is some kind of weird new teaching. It's actually not. It's not that 
we are trying to take over those mountains. We are actually just trying to bring the cross of Christ to these mountains. And in these mountains of influence, they are, they are divided into seven categories. And God told them both. And then later, one month later, told also Francis Schaeffer, gave him a similar message, that if they were going to impact the nation, any nation, for Jesus Christ, they would have to affect them in seven spheres. And these mountains or spheres, they are the pillars of any society. These seven mountains are business, government, media, arts and entertainment, education, the family, and religion. Or you could say the church. So it's business, government, media, and arts, entertainment, and education, the family, and religion. Now, many of you would maybe look at some of those and say, oh my goodness, you know, some of those areas, man, they are so far gone. You know, uh, just a few years ago, the church was looking on Hollywood as the one that was against us, that was trying to just only influence us for bad, and that there, there wasn't hardly a good movie that you could go out and see without feeling that, that oppression or that pushback against of, of what you knew to be true, uh, you know, that you've learned from the Scriptures. But God has called us as the church to be an influence uh, uh, in arts and entertainment. About 10 years ago, God raised up a church in Georgia to just begin to make family-friendly friend, movies. And you get great movies like Fireproof, Facing the Giants, and Hollywood cannot figure out how, how are they making these box offices? These, they, it seems like they're taking these homemade movies. Where is this hunger for this coming from? And where it's coming from is that the church would, would love to go to a movie safely and not have to cover their children's eyes or cover their ears from what they hear. And, and then when, when something is produced like that, the church says, oh, that's so refreshing. But for so long, we had just said, man, Hollywood is just going to hell. Let's just stay away from Hollywood. But how many even know Jesus wants to go to Hollywood? And that right now there's a church that raises million-dollar budgets to make movies. That's a vision. That's what it takes. Wholehearted commitment to carry the cross and to arts and entertainment. Not many of those areas. You, you know, and today we're going to talk a lot about business and we're going to talk a lot about education. Many of these areas, we just said, man, man, we're just going to, we're just going to forsake those areas. God doesn't want us to forsake any of these areas. Because if there's going to be a great awakening again in America, it will not only happen in the church. It'll start in the church, but then it's going to flow over into every single one of these spheres in our nation. And we're going to have to have people that God raises up to go into these mountains. And it is my firm belief that honor is the key that will unlock the gate to get into these mountains. This is a key God's trying to give us, church. Honor is the key to gain access into these seven arenas of influence. I want you today to look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 6. And the first verse that I'm going to read to you today is from the American Standard Version. And I'm going to read it to you and then I'm going to kind of explain... Uh, a little bit 
of the background, and so we can make a modern-day application to this. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1, American Standard Version says this, Let as many as are servants or slaves under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and the doctrine be not blasphemed. I want you to see this. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and the doctrine or the teaching of God be not blasphemed. Look at it from the Amplified Version today. It says, all who are under the yoke as bond servants, slaves, are to regard their own masters as worthy of honor and respect so that the name of God and the teaching about him will not be spoken against. Now, uh, by the way, it is my firm belief again that, that the Bible is, a bi- is, is, is uh, from beginning to end about one thing, redemption. But the Bible, in my opinion, is not pro-slavery. And many times people look at these scriptures and they think, oh man, this is about, you know, the Bible saying it was okay for some of our forefathers to treat slaves the way that they did, stealing them from nations and mistreating them. And doing that, that actually is actually far from the picture of what a bondservant would be experiencing during this time. A bondservant many times would stay with a family for a lifetime. In the Jewish culture, there was actually an opportunity for a bondservant to pierce their ear and say, I so love my master, I'm going to become part of their family. It is not the treachery that was put on some of the Africans that were brought here. These were people who who had a debt and they, they, they agreed to work for a sum of years in order to see that debt paid and taken care of. And many times these people lived a decent life. But today you would call this employee and employer. Uh, you could also insert into these verses, kids, student and teacher. You could also insert into these verses athlete and coach. And then we get a perspective that totally begins to change the way that we see this scripture. Many times we read this scripture and say, I'm not a slave, so we just move on. Like, this doesn't apply to me. That's what we do, and it's a mistake because God is revealing in his word a principle of honor. So in this scripture, you could easily exchange the word, uh, the word bondservant for employee and the word master for employer and say, all who are under the yoke as employees are to regard their own employers or bosses as worthy of all honor. Oh, Wow. Really? All honor, huh? Is that what he's saying? And respect. I know what you're saying without saying it, but just from the look on you, you don't know my boss. 
I don't know how he got the job. I don't know how she got placed there. And I don't know why she can't see clearly the way that she is supposed to be doing things or the way that he is supposed to be doing things. And the scripture says they are worthy of all honor and respect so that so that see there is a byproduct of not honoring our social leaders and the scripture this scripture actually tells us what it is there is a byproduct from not honoring our social leaders and it's not good this scripture says that if we do not honor our social leaders, that the name of God and the doctrine of God will be spoken against. That the name of God and the doctrine of God will be spoken against. I wonder if when we begin to operate in more an individual fashion as a nation and as a people in the 60s and 70s where we really, really begin to fundamentally know our rights and begin to argue for our rights and we begin to say things like, I know my rights! And I know what should be coming to me. I wonder if we then stepped out of what is rightfully ours and we stepped out of honor if there wasn't something that happened to us as a nation when we exchanged honor for American exceptionalism and individualism at its height. I believe America is exceptional. I believe, though, we have lost honor. And I am so glad to see that in this week post-election, that people are starting to, on different sides of the aisle, are starting to come together and at least honor one another. And that there are meetings. And that there are people coming together. And that they're actually going to find some common ground, I hope, that's good for our nation. And I, you know, and I really, really hope and pray that, that some of those things which were promised out up there in whatever that was that we experienced for the last 18 months... I hope that there are righteous appointments to the Supreme Court. I hope. But even if they're not, I've got one political statement to make. Jesus is king. God is in control. And the church will not, the church is not going to fall apart no matter what. It may change shape, but the church will grow. The church will thrive. And the church will be revealed. Whether in a positive atmosphere in our nation or under intense persecution, the church will rise. But the scripture says if we don't honor our social leaders, that the name of God and the doctrine of God will be spoken against. And I wonder if in our intense fight for our individual rights if things haven't been happening along those lines. Let me just list to you some of the ways that the name of God and the doctrine or the teachings about God have been defamed. Prayer was removed from our schools in 1963. 
It was about the same time that we were saying, no, this is right. This is my right. I need my rights. And we started to lose a grip on honor. The Ten Commandments have been removed from our government buildings. If you believe the the biblical account of creation, you are a lunatic and you stand in the way of true science and education. If you support the biblical definition of marriage as being between one man and one woman, you're a homophobe and are involved in hate speech. Everyone knows there are two things you're not allowed to talk about in public. First service, they just said it out loud. Yeah, politics and religion. And one of those is necessary for people to come to know Christ and make it to heaven. The Bible says that the name of God and the teachings about God would be defamed. That means, defamed means counted as common or worthless. What if some of this isn't just satanic attack directly on the teachings, but an indirect attack from the enemy when we as believers stopped operating in honor? I'm telling you, that enemy is sneaky. But we aim to get the light of Christ on that slithery snake and allow God to reinvigorate honor in our lives and help us to operate the way that heaven operates. What if part of the reason we've seen this decline is a lack of honor? Well, we're going to get very practical now. How can we honor social leaders? We're going to look at two different scriptures. One's from Titus chapter 2, and the other is from Ephesians chapter 6. And I gave you just some, some points to just, just to begin to ponder on and to begin to process as the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Titus 2.9 says, Urge bond slaves, this is the New American Standard Bible, Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Urge employees urge students to be subject to their teachers in everything. Hear me, kids. Urge students to be subject to their teachers in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, showing all good faith that they may adorn the doctrine of God. So what are we supposed to do? How do we honor? First way is we try to please our bosses, teachers, and coaches. We try to please them. I know your immediate response is, but (laughs) you don't know them. They can't be pleased. That has nothing to do with the way you live. That has nothing to do with the way God has called you to live. You live to please them. You may say, Pastor Otis, you are hurting my feelings. I am sorry. I'm just reading you the Bible. Read me the other parts. (laughs) 
We'll get to the other parts. We need honor. We try to please our employers. Isn't it refreshing when somebody is trying to please you? It is. And what if, what if your alcoholic, no good, no plan boss is waiting on an employee to please them in honor and it gives you a key to speak the gospel to them? So we try to please them. Second thing the scripture reveals is this. This is really good for all the students. Don't argue. I know every student here thinks this way. Been in youth ministry for 16 plus years. Every student thinks they're smarter than their teacher. Every son or daughter thinks they're smarter than their mom or dad. I'm sorry. Listen, if you're in middle school, someone just dressed you. They just dressed you, okay? They picked out their clothes. Listen, we're, we, we've been taking care of you, and all of a sudden you've arrived because you're in seventh grade. No. And I know you think that teacher is so dumb, but she's not. He's not. Matter of fact, they'll probably overhear after you've disrespected them and you've been arguing about why do we have to learn all this stupid stuff? You know, I hear it, you know, I don't know why I hear it every year, but I hear it. I like, I am never going to use algebra for the rest of my life. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. You're just going to use it in a different platform. <laughs> One loser plus my dad with a gun equals one less loser on the earth. You're going to need algebra. Find the missing exponent. <laughs> You're going to need it. Listen, don't argue with your bosses. It says don't be argumentative. You say, well, what if their ideas are silly? Well, what if you offered to God a right spirit and you offered to him faith that no matter how jacked up the plan is, how it seems backwards and you're trying to do things a little quicker and you've got things figured out, what if you offered God that plan by faith? Here's what I've learned. Anything I offer to God in faith, he honors but when we come to God with our arms folded and we're arguing with him about, well, man, I'm, I'm in this nowhere position with this nowhere boss. That nowhere boss is never going to receive the gospel from you. Don't argue. Young people, do not argue with your teachers. Don't do it. The scripture says that when you honor, there's a blessing released. And it'll give you a platform. Some of you are thinking, I'm getting a recording of this and playing it to my children over and over. <laughs> Verse 10 says, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. This, this simply means this. 
show you can be trusted. Pilfering means this. Uh, um, uh, it means taking what does not belong to you. Those paper clips don't belong to you. Those pens don't belong to you. They're, the, the long distance, you know, that, that it's on the landline at your job doesn't belong to you. So you can't just make any of those calls. Your time when you're working doesn't actually belong to you. It belongs to your employer. So if you're preaching on the clock while not working, you are not honoring them. And your preaching most of the time will be in vain. I heard this story about a lady who was working for a, 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 a company, and it was in the um, it was in the late '80s when uh, when all of the long distance bills were 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 really really high. I don't know if you guys remember that. You know, some of you don't. Some of you weren't even born. Um, but you know, long distance on your home landline used to cost a lot. This woman ran up and ate thousand dollar bill calling her son in Germany and was not a very good worker preached all the time and kept the other workers from working her boss when presented with the gospel said I don't want to hear anything about that because the name of God and the teachings of God were defamed by really, really, really bad behavior. Show you can be trusted. How does a student do that? Do your homework. Science fair does not start 48 hours before it's due. Just saying. Welcome to my world. How do you honor? You listen. You're not argument. You show that you can be faithful with what's entrusted to you. Show you can be trusted. There's another scripture, Ephesians chapter 6, from the New Living Translation. Ephesians 6 verse 5 says this, Slaves, or you could say employees, obey your earthly employers, with deep respect and fear, serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. As employees of Christ, do the will of God with all of your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good that we do, whether we are employees or employers. Slaves are free. There's a couple other practical applications from Ephesians chapter 6. Serve your teachers or serve your employers as if they were Christ. Yeah, I know that's tough. 
serve them as if they were Christ. Now, let me give you a little, a little more practical uh, thing that I have noticed. Uh, have you ever been to someone else's house? Maybe you're visiting. Maybe they're doing a, a housewarming party or something like that, and you go over there, and maybe as a result of the food that's served or something, uh, there's a little bit of a mess. And, it, man, it's just really easy to clean someone else's house. Have you ever noticed that? It's just, man, I, man, I just jump in there. I could clean that. I clean that. But you go home, and there's a sink full of dishes. I've watched it with our kids. Our kids will like go, go somewhere else, and they'll be at someone else. Oh, let me help you clean that. Let me help you do that. Let me help you do that. That's great. They're over at somebody's house, and then, you know, you're still knocking on their door for the third time. Could you please fill in the blank with whatever chore? You know why it is? It's because of honor. See, honor motivates us. When you want to honor somebody, you'll be motivated to move in right fashion. And I promise you, if Christ were your direct employer, and he is, you would, you would operate with a little different, a little different approach. That's honor. So we serve these people in authority over us as if they were Christ. And then what we find out from the scripture is that there's actually an attitude that's connected to this. He says, he says, do it with all of your heart. Work with enthusiasm. So the last practical one is be enthusiastic. I love this word because actually it breaks down. It's a three-part word. In means within. Uh, Enthusiasm, the, 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 the beginning of that, T-H-U-S, is actually from the, the Latin word theo. It means God. And ism means the state of. So enthusiastic means to be possessed by God. And the scripture says, be enthusiastic. Now, we know that that means be energetic and, and, and actually enjoy what you're doing and put a smile on your face. But it actually, the old definitions in the, in, the, in the British dictionary, it actually says that the dead meaning, the dead meaning of enthusiasm means to be possessed by God. I was like, I was like man, I'm bringing this thing back. We're, I'm going to pump it and preach it until everybody understands when you're enthusiastic, it's as if you are a person who is possessed by God. And the way that you're enthusiastic is you are showing that, man, I am glad to be here and glad to be serving because it's not just you I'm serving, it's God I'm serving. I am firmly convinced that there's been one person uh, in probably the last decade or so, in our culture that has exemplified this as good or better than, than, than many. Um, uh, you know, he was a great quarterback for the University of Florida, went on and played in the NFL, and now he's playing baseball. His name is Tim Tebow. Uh, here are the facts, people. He is high on honor. He is a great, great athlete. That guy is not a great quarterback, no matter what you say, okay? He is not a great quarterback, He's, he's a great running back. And he is an exceptional specimen and athlete. But above all of that, his honor level is over the top. 
That is why his former coaches went on mission trips when, when he was playing for them. They're like, man, I just see the way that, that, that he works and honors. He comes in, he's so enthusiastic. He's like, man, you want that guy on your team because the whole team is going to get infected with what's infecting him. So he comes in and he works out hard and he gets everybody on the same page. It didn't matter. Man, I had friends, a mutual friends um, uh, out in Denver. And, and listen, what Tim Tebow did that year with the Denver Bronco, Broncos, there was an old movie called Angels in the Outfield where there's this baseball team that got angelic help to win. Guys, it's like the angels showed up in the fourth quarter every time this guy was playing, okay? It started in Miami. It's this, this guy, this guy was trying to throw passes the first three quarters. It's in the dirt, in the dirt, in the dirt. Fourth quarter, God shows up. I'm telling you, this happened. And over and over again, takes him all the way into the playoffs. The playoffs. He's playing Pittsburgh Steelers. They've got one of the best quarterbacks ever. He's chubby, but he's good. Ben Roethlisberger. And it's awesome. Tim Tebow takes him into overtime, throws the best pass of his life. They score and win the game. They beat the Steelers. Yes. But after the game, John Elway is going. He was at a dinner with a mutual friend. And he tells, he tells this mutual friend, listen, he goes, what he did was awesome. But what, it, what he does every day in the locker room is unbelievable. And what you see is what you get. He is really a man of, of his word. This is what he said. This is what John Elway said privately. He says, he says I want Tim to marry my daughter. <laughs> Just not quarterback the Broncos. Because <laughs> he didn't know if the angels were going to show up every game. That's the truth. And this, this man is now playing semi-pro baseball. I, and it happened again. I'm like, game's on the line. Tim's at the plate, standing up there being really enthusiastic, about to go into extra innings. Swings the bat. The ball dribbles a few feet. The guy comes in and scores. Everybody surrounds Tim. It's like, how did somebody score? The ball went 12 feet. He's, how did that happen? And the coaches are like, man, I want that guy in my clubhouse because he makes everybody else better through the way that he honors. And God in 1 Samuel 2 says, I will honor those who honor me. And those who do not honor me, I will lightly esteem. Church, we have to learn how to honor. The gospel in our community is directly connected to it. And the way that you work and the way that you live is a direct reflection of the God that you serve. And we have to learn how to honor our social leaders so that the name of God will be esteemed every time you hear Tim Tebow, uh, someone talk about, even if they're not a believer, they're like, he's the real deal. Why? 
lives a life of honor. Is he perfect? Is, no, he's not perfect. But he's living honor. When we honor social leaders, we demonstrate Christ. And then, according to verse 8, we will receive a full reward. It says, remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good that we do, whether slaves or free. Calvary, I believe God is setting a key before us. And that key has a name, and that name is honor. And if we could possess the honor key, I believe God will open up to us all kinds of areas of influence, and God's name will be exalted, and the teachings about God will be accepted and received by many who still need Christ. What's God calling us to? He's calling us to honor. I hope you've enjoyed this message from Calvary Church. For more information on this message or to listen to other teachings, visit us at InvernessCalvary.com. Connect with us for all the latest news on services, events, and more through our website or by following us on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening and God bless.